Hello, Brainiacs. What you're about to hear is Red Hot. It's an encore episode all about volcanoes. At the end, there will be an eruption of newly added names to the Brain's Honor Roll. Listen in. Plus, an all-new moment of um answering one of your questions. So let's dive in. You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Today on Brains On, we're answering a question from six-year-old Rupert Kong from Toronto. He emailed us with this question, how do volcanoes erupt? There are volcanoes all over the world. Alaska and Hawaii. Washington and California. Guatemala and Costa Rica. Italy and Iceland. Japan and the Philippines. And there's more. But you get the point. There's a lot of them. To find the answer to Rupert's question, we're going to travel to the center of the Earth. And we'll meet a robot who's going on a very special volcano mission. We've got an explosively fantastic song. And of course, there's the mystery sound. Keep listening. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and my co-host today is 14-year-old Destiny Rodriguez from Los Angeles. Hi, Destiny. Hey. For the first stop on our quest to figure out how volcanoes erupt, we're going to pay a visit to an old friend. Hi, I'm Earthworm. You may remember me from my winning appearance on the game show Name the Thing. You can hear that on the Soil episode if you missed it. I'm back because Brains On asked me to take my surface knowledge of the Earth. Get it? Surface. Like soil. (laughs) Anyway, they've asked me to take my surface knowledge of the Earth and go deeper, way deeper, to the center of the Earth to find out how volcanoes form. The soil where I hang out is the top part of the Earth's crust. The closer you get to the center of the Earth, the temperature and pressure both rise. So, in order to travel there, I've been given this amazing terracraft that is resistant to high temperatures and pressures. Let's go! There's currently no craft that would be able to withstand the pressures and temperatures at the center of the Earth. Earthworms also cannot talk and do not compete on game shows. All right, all buckled in. Let's start at the center. Hyperdrive, activate! Here we are at the Earth's core, a solid ball of iron. Hi! I'm the Earth's core! Whoa, hi! Wow, the pressure here is intense. I know! Even though it's so hot, the pressure here is so intense that I don't melt. I stay solid. That's totally hardcore of you. Get it? Hardcore? Like the core of the Earth? (laughs) Oh, oh, hey, hey, hey. That joke is solid. (laughs) See what I did there? Well... I can't take this pressure much longer. Let's start moving to the surface. Later! Whew, a little cooler here, but not much. This is the outer core. It's a layer of liquid iron. It's still suffocating down here. Let's get a move on. Ah, now we're rising up through the mantle. We're going to keep driving through this and get to the upper mantle. Ah yes, here we are, the upper mantle. Pretty close to the surface, but not quite. Whew, it's steamy in here. That's because we're in a hot spot. This is a spot where rocky material is warmed up from heat from deeper in the earth. The more this stuff heats, the more it rises. 
the more it rises, the less pressure it feels, and the hotter it gets. It's a cycle, and the result is magma. Melted rocks. Hey, here's some hot rocks right now. Hey, nice TerraCraft. Thanks. Where are you guys headed? We're so hot, we're busting out of here to the surface. There's less pressure up there. And with less pressure, we can relax. We just want to get our melt on, you know? Check it out. That's starting to happen now. We're becoming less dense, so we rise. Hey, we gotta go. Hey, I'm coming too. Wait for me. Okay, I'm here now where the upper part of the mantle meets the lower part of the crust. This is where magma can group together into large clumps. Any minute now, our melted rock magma friends from below should be rising up to this level. Yeah, here we are. Wow, you guys aren't rocks at all anymore. You're totally a liquid, just like you said. Yeah, now we are officially magma. Red hot liquid rocks. We're pretty hot stuff, you know. Team Magma. This place we're in is called the Magma Chamber. It's where magma gathers just below the surface of the Earth. Hey, more magma just arrived. Woo! It's a magma pool party! Woo! As this chamber fills with more and more magma, this molten hot stuff will get closer and closer to the Earth's surface. Gas will start bubbling up out of the magma, and the pressure from the gas bubbles will rise to the top of the chamber and crack the rocks around it. Once the pressure in the magma chamber gets high enough, the magma will bust through the Earth's surface in an eruption! If that happens again and again in the same place, it'll make a volcano! Oh, and just so you know, once we erupt on the surface, we like to be called lava. Hot lava, that's us! Time to make our move! Time to erupt! Watch out! Lava coming through! Looks like this volcano is about to blow! Ah, We're going with the flow! The lava flow! Back to you, Molly! Thanks, Wormy! Now, before we go any further, strange sounds abound. Huh? That means it's time for the mystery sound. Here it is. Any guesses? An airplane. Good guess. While you're puzzling over that one, we have a song in honor of famous volcanoes through history. Take it away, Holly and Johnny. Volcanoes are everywhere. Some of them blow smoke in the air. Sad. 
Pompeii, Pompeii collapsed in 1903, almost as impressive as Novato del Ruiz. Sarah Tempora put on quite a show, and a tuba created massive mud flows, and volcanoes are everywhere. Hot as a super hot soul flare, landing the hearts of liquid of crusty out of the That was the song Magma is Hot by Holly and Johnny. Just a quick note. There was a little bit of artistic license in that song. Lava is very, very hot, but solar flares are way, way hotter. Do you ever have one of those questions that keeps you up at night? The kind that roll around in your brain day after day? The ones no one else seems to be able to answer? We love those questions. If you have one, send it to us at hello at brainson.org. That's how we got this gem from Annabelle in Louisville, Kentucky. How do ballerinas stand their toes? How do ballerinas stand on their toes? We'll answer that at the end of the episode. Stay tuned. You know, you can also send us drawings. We love them. Mystery sounds, they're the best. And high fives to that same address. Hello at brainzon.org. We're also planning an episode on the sleep-wake cycle. And we want to know, which do you think is better? Being a morning person or a night person? Send us your answers to be part of that show. Now, let's get back to volcanoes. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom. And I'm Destiny Rodriguez. Today we're talking about volcanoes. And it is hot stuff. So far we've found out how volcanoes form, and now it's time to learn more about how... And why... They erupt. The guide for the next part of our journey is none other than our co-host here, Destiny Rodriguez. Yeah, I visited NASA's JPL in Pasadena to find out. So JPL, that's the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, but I thought they studied space. What are they doing studying volcanoes? Well, they don't only study space. They study everything from earth science to ice to volcanoes to anything, really. Okay, so they study space and earth as well. Yes. And who did you talk to there? I spoke with Carolyn Parchetta. She's a volcanologist at JPL. A lot of people think of volcanoes as your typical single mountain that explodes from the top, but a volcano is actually a landform. And it could be either a positive landform like Mount Fuji that sticks up above the ground, or it could be a negative landform like Yellowstone, which actually uh, is a caldera or a depression in the ground. Carolyn says these depressions, or caldera volcanoes, usually form when magma bursts out of the ground in a big, violent explosion. The ground usually sinks to fill in that space where the magma used to be. That's why it's called a depression. But if there's no explosion, if the magma bubbles up slowly, it builds on itself layer by layer, and it can grow into a mountain. That's the classic volcano most of us think of. You can either have an eruption where magma comes out of the ground, into the air, and then falls back to the ground, and it all starts to gel together and make a layer that eventually flows. Or you can just have a very weak eruption where magma comes to the ground surface and then flows across the ground. There's no explosion in there. That's the more common way to produce lava flows. When I think of lava, I think red and orange, and are they all red and orange? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Color can tell us a lot about lava, and they all pretty much start erupting uh, as red, orange, yellow in that color scheme. The warmer colors, the yellow, uh, and on occasion maybe even approaching white, is really hot. Uh, We're thinking 
1200 degrees Celsius, which is almost 2200 degrees Fahrenheit. And then as it cools, it changes from that yellow color to the orange, and then the orange to the red, and finally red to black. And the red to black indicates essentially that it's cooled to the glass transition where it's going from a liquid to a solid and where the the lava is basically turning into glass. So what exactly makes a volcano erupt? Somewhere inside the earth, the solid rock that makes up our planet has to become a liquid and eventually that accumulates and is is buoyant and it starts to rise. And when it gets to the volcano, then it can do a couple of things. And the first is that we'll see the gas start to come out of solution. So Inside the ground, it's all one fluid, and the gases are dissolved. But when it hits a certain point below the surface, the gases say, never mind, I want to be a gas, not in the liquid. And they start to form bubbles. And these bubbles start off very small, but they grow pretty rapidly. And so as naturally, as you come up towards the surface, you're decreasing the amount of rock that's over it, so you're decreasing the pressure. And as you decrease the pressure, the bubbles can get larger. And so the bubbles are getting bigger and bigger. So these bubbles are acting like little balloons inside the magma, and they're pushing the magma up. Uh, so the, the ones like Hawaii, the bubbles can sometimes separate from the liquid enough that they just rise to the surface and pop, and the magma is left below. But when you get a lava fountain, you have a bunch of medium-sized bubbles that all want to get out together, and it's like a traffic jam, and so they just start pushing the lava out of the ground. Carolyn Parchetta and her team of engineers created a special robot to explore the insides of volcanoes. It's called Volcanobot. That's probably what I'd call a volcano-exploring robot. What does Volcanobot look like? Volcanobot looks like, well, to me at first glance, it kind of looked like a loaf of bread. <laughs> With, with two wheels at the side. <laughs> but it's small, so it's as small as a loaf of bread? Give or take, maybe one-thirds of a loaf of bread. Wow, so it's a tiny say, little yeah. robot. Yeah, it has a camera in the middle, and the camera is used to film the inside of, of the volcano. Um, the wheels are spiky for traction so that they can grip. Wait, so it can climb up walls? Yes, it can climb up walls. And did you get to drive it? Yes, I did. That was an awesome experience. You had a remote control? Yes, I did. And I moved it forward and backward and side to side. But it was very stressful, too, because Carolyn was wearing uh, sandals and flip-flops, so I didn't want to run over her toe or anything, so that was pretty stressful. Yeah, with those spiky wheels, that would probably hurt. Right. And what are they going to do with Volcano Butt? Carolyn plans to send Volcano Bot into a fissure that appeared on Kilauea in Hawaii. And a fissure is a crack in the earth? Right. Yeah, so we want to know the shape of this fissure, this crack that erupts magma. Uh, it's the most common style of eruption on Earth and in the solar system. And we don't actually know much about it because they, after the eruption happens, they get clogged and we can't access them. So this one, for whatever reason we don't know, didn't get clogged. And that's one thing we hope to find out. Why not? Uh, the other thing is, what is the shape? Because the shape is probably very similar in all these eruptions. And we can understand how the eruption actually works if we can document the shape. So that's what Volcanobot will do. It will climb down into the fissure so we can better understand these important volcano features. And Destiny, you're very interested in NASA and perhaps hope to work there one day. What was it like to visit? That was a really awesome place. Um, we saw the control room. That's where all the missions are controlled from, all the space missions. And 
we got to see a replica of the Mars rover. Nice. That's awesome. If there were ever a zombie apocalypse, that would be the best place to go to. Why? Because they can build something so that you survive and there's a Starbucks in there. That sounds like the perfect place to be during a zombie apocalypse. Of course. Well, thanks so much, Destiny. It sounds like an awesome trip. It was. It was an awesome trip. Quick note, since this episode aired, that volcano researcher, Carolyn Parchetta, has left NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Now she's an operational geologist at the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory. She says it's her dream job. VolcanoBot, on the other hand, isn't doing much at all these days. It's still functioning, but it's waiting for a new mission. Hang in there, buddy. So you ready to go back to that mystery sound? Let's hear it one more time. Any final guesses? Not really. I'm going to stick to my... to um... Stick to airplane? Yes. For the answer, here is infrasound specialist Milton Garces. That was the infrasound from magma jumping out of the Pu'u'o'o crater at Kilauea Volcano. My name is Milton Garces. I'm with the University of Hawaii, and I listen to very deep sounds from the Earth. Infrasound is sound below the hearing threshold of the human ear, which is about 20 cycles per second. And uh, it's produced by very large things that either move or explode, so big things that blow up. And one of its uh, advantages is that it can go very far, uh, thousands of kilometers sometimes. Milton speeds up the sounds so that our ears can hear them. They give you early warning of large threats, uh, meteors, volcanoes, tsunamis, They'll have a unique acoustic signature, and if you can recognize it, that's your cue to run. So we have a global network that picks up a lot of this continuous vibrations of the atmosphere, and we look for anomalies, we look for transients from big things. We're essentially gathering information at the speed of sound. Have you imagined what it would be like to live next to that volcano, Kilauea? We talked to someone who knows what it's like. I am Kili'i Perry, and I am 11 years old. I live in Volcano Hawaii. I live about two miles away from it, and it it's not that great of an effect on our daily lives. Uh, the only uh, real thing that like could endanger us, so to speak, is um, the volcanic gases that come from the volcano, and they they give you headaches and it's, it's terrible. It smells like rotten eggs. I mean, you just kind of have to be mindful that it's it's there and it, it, it can give you a headache. And it, it's not like it'll like physically hurt you, but it is very uncomfortable to have a headache all day because of the volcanic gases. Lava flows not too far from Kili'i's house, but it's not exactly the flow you might be picturing. Most people think of a volcano as exploding with lots of ash being thrown up into the air, but our volcano is more of like something just kind of flowing out slowly. It's not like a runny river of orange stuff. It's more of like a black creeping hand that sort of um, reaches out over the, um, the forest and burns whatever is in its path. 
Pele is the Hawaiian goddess of the volcano, and she plays a very important part in Hawaiian culture. Normally, you you ask for permission via a chant to enter the crater or the area that you're going to. And then when you leave, you have to thank her for letting you come. Milton Garces has actually named some of the sounds he's recorded from the volcano Pele's Chants. It's a sound that's very harmonious and very melodic. And uh, when it's, some volcanoes are horrible singers. They sound really rough and, and, you know, it's just not a very nice sound. But Halemaumau, when it, from the moment it was born, it had a really nice harmonic content. And it just goes on continuously. It'll be like a chant. It just tells a story. It's a long story. I think it has to do with their vocal cords, just like with humans. Some, some volcanoes have the right plumbing in there to make them sound nice, and some just don't. Also, it depends on the processes, too. Uh, the, it's the difference between a song and a scream, right? And a shriek. A uh, volcano that's erupting very violently, it's, it's pretty much shrieking and screaming. It's, it's hard to make that sound nice. A volcano that's bubbling contentedly has a, it's more of a humming kind of <laughs> a rumble going on. So if you think of voice, it's a, it's a voice. Each volcano has its own vocalization, its own voicing. And because Alamama and Kilauea in general has a, a gentle type of eruption, I think it comes out as, a, as more sonorous. Volcanoes form when heat inside the Earth melts rock far below the surface. The melted rock is called magma. When enough magma builds up and gas starts bubbling out, the pressure increases and the volcano erupts. But since we can't go inside volcanoes, there are still many mysteries left for scientists. And Volcano Bot. That's it for this episode of Brains On. This episode was produced by Satin Taunton, Mark Sanchez, and Molly Bloom. Brains On is funded in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. We had production help this week from Marcus Arsvold, Lauren D., and John Lambert. Now, let's answer that question from earlier. It's time for our moment of, um... I'm Annabelle from Louisville, Kentucky. My question is, how do ballerinas stay on their toes? I'm Penelope Free, and I'm an independent contemporary ballet dancer and choreographer. I teach ballet and composition at the University of Minnesota, and I've been here since 2009. Point shoes are designed to help dancers go onto their toes, so they don't go on their toes without these supportive shoes. In fact, it's dangerous to do that. And the idea is that their toes are straight and not curled under inside the shoe. Um, typically, girls get the go-ahead to go on point around the age of 11, assuming they've built up appropriate muscles. They're at a place in terms of their development where their bodies can handle it. We look for strong ankles, a dancer's ability to fully have their knees straightened, and then uh, strength of the foot as well. Some bodies are lined up so well that when a person is on point, that's actually incredibly comfortable for them. And it, it's, it's quite safe, actually, because of the support of the shoes. Um, the shoes are created in a papier-mâché 
fashion. So it's layers of fabric and glue and fabric and glue to make them hard. What's interesting about that is those do then break down. So they sort of melt or die, as we say. But in that process, they conform to the foot really nicely. So there's this sweet spot in the middle of breaking in a shoe where the dancer feels completely supported because the shoe has softened around their foot and is very much supporting it. I'm going to pirouette and chasse my way through this list of names. These are the kids who keep this show going with their energy and ideas. It's time for the most recent group to be added to the Brains Honor Roll. Yaniv and Amitai from California, Will from St. Paul, Mika from Geneva, Switzerland, Elise and Leon from Palo Alto, California, Chloe from Ottawa, Kate from Austin, Texas, Silas from Warrington, Virginia, Felix from Wollongong, Australia, Nina from Palo Alto, California, Asher from Los Angeles, Isha from Orange, Connecticut, Simon and Milo from Falmouth, Maine, Amelia from Raleigh, North Carolina, Willow from Philadelphia, Nietzsche Kuhn from Chelsea, Vermont, Ivan from Pittsburgh, Annalise and Soren from Arlington, Virginia, Sylvia from Seattle, Henry and May from the Netherlands, Arden from Albany, California, Persephone and Griffin from Miami, Rakaya from Atlanta, Alessia and Bruno from Chicago, Ayana and Akira from Arvada, Colorado, Kellen and Flynn from Fairfax, Virginia, Aiden, Jabin, and Bowden from Porterville, California, Liam and Zoe from Santa Clara, California, Sebastian from Walla Walla, Washington, Kendra from Laurel, Maryland, Sonam from Bloomington, Illinois, Oren, Inca, and Bodhi from County Waterford, Ireland, Anna and Forrest from Egremont, Massachusetts, Winter from Brooklyn, Lennon from Caroline County, Virginia, Rutledge from San Francisco, Cole from Indianapolis, Odessa from Seattle, Seattle, Kate from Calgary, Lydia from Washington, California, Josie from San Francisco, Amelie from Denver, Karina from Newton, Massachusetts, Jane from Fair Oaks, California, and Ewan from Scotland. Thanks to Jess Horwitz, Sam Radwini, Eric Ringham, Lyman Perry, Tamara Elias, Anna Helpern, John Gordon, Colin Campbell, Albert Rodriguez, and Holly and Johnny. To hear more episodes, head to our website, brainson.org. While you're there, you can subscribe to our newsletter to find out about new episodes and other fun stuff. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at brains underscore on. Thanks for listening. 